1: Welcome to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers. Leaders are the heartbeat of any organization. Let Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler show you what it takes to become a top 10% performer in your organization. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler.
2: Welcome to Leadership Development News, hosted by Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Dr. Relly Nadler. I'm Allison Childs with the Center for Creative Leadership. Kathy and Relly have helped thousands of people like you become better performers, managers, and leaders with their unique approaches to coaching. Dr. Relly Nadler is a master level certified executive coach with the International Coaching Federation, a psychologist, corporate leadership, and team trainer. Dr. Nadler brings his expertise and in emotional intelligence to all his keynotes, consulting, coaching, and training. Dr. Nadler's Leaders Playbook provides hundreds of tools and strategies to develop star performers. For more information and free tools by Riley Nadler, go to www.truenorthleadership.com. New York Times best-selling author Kathy Greenberg wins hearts and minds around the world with her internationally acclaimed books on the new science of happiness including What Happy Companies Know and What Happy Working Mothers Know. Kathy is available for a variety of consulting and coaching programs where you can learn to apply her unique happiness equals profit business formula. For more on Kathy's coaching, tools, consulting, and keynote speaking, go to www.h2cleadership.com or www.whathappyworkingmothersknow.com for free tips and downloads.
0: Welcome to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. I'm Dr. Rowan Adler. My co-host, Dr. Kathy Greenberg, is also on on the line here. Kathy and I are your leadership development coaches. We have helped thousands of leaders and executives to perform in the top 10%. And today we're very excited about having Betsy Myers. We're going to talk about a life of public service. Let me tell you a little bit about... Uh, Betsy. Betsy Myers most recently served as a senior advisor to Barack Obama's presidential campaign. She joined the campaign in January 2007 as the chief operating officer tasked with the challenge of building a one, uh, $1 million organization and uh, established the campaign with a business model and customer service mentality. Betsy also represented the campaign, the campaign as the chair Of Women for Obama. Prior to this appointment, Betsy was the executive director of the Center for Public Leadership at Harvard's Kennedy School of Government with a track record of strategically building and realigning organizations. Betsy focused the center's teaching and research around personal leadership and being a fully integrated person. She believes that the hardest person we will ever manage is ourselves. That's something very true that Kathy and I uh, resonate with, and as a senior official in the Clinton administration, she was the president's most senior advisor on women's issues. In a previous post, Myers was the director of the Office of Women's Business Ownership at the SBA, where she served as an advocate for the 7.8 million women entrepreneurs in our country. So we are really delighted to have Betsy on the program today. Betsy, you want to say hi, and we'll ask you a couple questions down the line?
3: Sure. Great to be here. Thanks so much.
0: Well, thank, Thanks for being uh, with us, Betsy. We're,
4: we're really excited to have you with us today.
0: And, you know, um, um, Kathy and I always want to bring you the best in leadership topics, interviews with proven leaders like, like Betsy, and provide evidence-based best practices to help you develop more leaders. And, Kathy, you want to jump in and take us yeah, here. Yeah, I'm
4: chewing at the bit here. I can't wait to get. good. good. Started I, 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 I can hear it. I just I'm like I'm like a little kid today because um you know, I was very fortunate to uh, to meet Betsy at a conference uh this uh, this winter in November uh with linkage and uh, Betsy was one of our speakers and I'm I'm so happy to have her on the show as you can tell I'm just uh I'm very excited because we also had uh, her sister Dee in our book, Uh, What Happy Working Mothers Know, and I've also uh, been spending a little bit of time uh, with her youngest sister, JoJo. So we'll learn a lot about Betsy and her family today, um, hopefully, as we learn about her as a professional and uh, how she's going to help us learn more about leadership development. And that is the topic of today's show, believe it or not, and what we try to share with all of our listeners in every one of our programs is something that they can take away and use immediately. We love to share insights that we have learned from many wonderful speakers and authors on how to develop more leaders in your organization and how you can be a better leader as well. Certainly what happy companies know about performance and about being your best and having satisfaction both at work and at home. We also love to talk about emotional intelligence and positive psychology strategies to help you not only be your best but but perform, uh, as Relly will talk about in a little bit, in the top 80 percentile of your company. We are both advocates of brain and neuroscience contributions to top performance, and as you know, throughout the year, we will have special guests who will talk to you about the importance of brain and neuroscience. We always like to include something about generation and gender differences because we know To be leaders, we have to have followers, and they come from many different generational viewpoints, and it's important for us to make sure that they're listening as well. We also like to help you be your best through work-life balance practices, strategies for managing yourself and your boss, and what's most important is to do these with small steps that make a big difference because we know you are the heartbeat of your organization, as is any leader. And on that note, Relly, if you can talk a little bit about why we feel leadership development is such an important science and the science behind
0: leadership, we'll continue on and interview Betsy. Great. Thank you, Kathy. Uh, well, leaders are so important, and Betsy, you know this just from, from your work uh, a lot of the research says that a leader has 50 to 70% influence over the climate of their team. And I remember when I first heard that, I thought that was huge. I think in some places, the leader has even more, 90% influence over the climate of their team. And that's because emotions are contagious. And the person who is the most contagious is the leader. And that's why we like to call them the emotional, emotional thermostat for their team. And Betsy, just like in the intro, I'm interested in hearing uh, one of the key things around self-management and how does a person become a fully integrated person because they can influence so many people. And we also know that one of the keys of being a star performer is trying to get someone into the top 10%. It really is a tipping point. Leaders in the top 10% produce twice as much revenue to the organization as leaders in the 11th through the 89th percentile. And one of the keys of getting into that top 10% is this aspect of emotional and social intelligence, which includes positive psychology. And when you compare that to IQ or technical expertise, it's this emotional intelligence domain that has the most influence. And in many organizations, training is one of the key things done, and training can help someone get into the top 10%. Um, Some of the research says that training alone can help about a uh, 22% increase in productivity. But if you add training in a, with coaching, individual coaching, Kathy and I are both uh, certified executive coaches, you're able to ground that learning. And research shows that with training and coaching, you can get about an 88% um, increase in, in productivity. And often, just in one day, you can get these coaching networks to be, uh, integrated into your organization. And studies have showed that happiness, which is Kathy's sweet spot, is tied to profit by more than 93%. For more information about Dr. Kathy Greenberg, her website is www.h2cleadership.com. For her happiness books, tools, speaking keynotes, leadership, and coaching services. For more information about me, Dr. Rowley Nather, my website is www.truenorthleadership. Dot com for emotional intelligence books. There's some free EI assessments, speaking keynotes, leadership and coaching boot camps. And so now, Kathy, maybe you can give us a little bit more of the of the history and how you came to meet Betsy.
4: Well, obviously, we have someone here who has a very strong um, affinity for helping those in the public domain achieve greatness and as you said rally uh, betsy uh, most recently served as a senior advisor to barack obama's presidential campaign in fact she uh, she was instrumental in uh, helping the campaign set a business direction and setting up an operational model and a very strong customer service mentality, which, as you know, served that campaign extremely well. And Betsy, hopefully today you're going to share some insights on uh, on how you did that and uh, sure. a little bit about your new book. Um, Betsy also represented... Uh, the campaign, as you said uh, so well, Raleigh, really, as the chair for the Women for Obama function, and um, I actually attended one of those functions in July, so we'll talk a little bit about that. And she's traveled um, extensively, and uh, in the 2008 campaign, she traveled speaking to undecided voters and concentrating on women's outreach and uh, these efforts included a working partnership not only with Women for Obama, but the Democratic National uh, Convention's Women's Leadership Forum. And she spent a significant amount of time uh, during uh, that uh, relationship working on unity efforts, meeting with the Clinton supporters across the country uh, to hear their concerns and invite them to join the Obama efforts, which, as you know, became extremely successful. You know, prior to that appointment, uh, Betsy was the executive director uh, of the Center for Public Leadership at Harvard's Kennedy School of Government, and that's where Betsy and I share a love for a common uh, philosopher by the name of Warren Bennis. Um, she came to the Center uh, for Public Leadership in 2003 and bringing with her a proven track record of building, growing, and funding both strategically realigning organizations to manage themselves and to better behave as organizations in a, a strategically, fundamentally um, aligned way. She, um, she's definitely uh, one of my favorite people these days, and she's known for bringing um, her focus uh, to the center's teaching and research, which also increased the center's efforts around women and leadership, and she, of course, worked closely with the Harvard's Women's Leadership Board. Uh, as a senior official uh, in the Clinton administration, I could go on forever, uh, she was the president's senior advisor on women's issues, but in this capacity, she helped ensure that such issues as domestic violence, reproductive choice, breast cancer, and women in business figured prominently on the administration's legislative agenda. You know, Betsy has a, a huge um, following. Uh, she she is an advocate uh, for so many, and obviously her work in the U.S. Small Business Administration, uh, first as the Director of the Office of Women's Business Ownership and later as the Associate Deputy Administrator for Entrepreneurial Development, uh, has, has made her a favorite of many uh, in, um, in women in business. And she was responsible for the agency's technical assistance management and distance learning programs, which is uh, certainly an important way to help uh, others understand and know more about the importance of women in business. Uh, Prior to joining the Clinton administration, uh, Myers spent six years building Myers Insurance and Financial Services based in Los Angeles. She specialized in the small business and women's market, providing insurance and retirement planning, and she is a public service fellow at Harvard's Kennedy School, where she graduated with an MPA, and um, she is, in fact, one of the school's alumni and certainly a big advocate for all uh, of women in business so thank you Betsy and welcome to the show
3: oh, it's nice to be here happy New Year uh,
4: we always like to start our program with uh, with one instrumental question that helps our audience connect uh, to you as a person uh, not only as uh, someone in the public eye and that is um, you know you're such a uh, a part of a, a very wonderful and dynamic family. Can you tell us a little bit about who's been most influential um, in your life? Uh, it, well, who are the people who've helped shape you and your career and why?
3: Um, starting from a family perspective, is that mostly what you're thinking, what you're hoping I answer from?
4: What Whatever you'd like to share. <laughs>
3: okay. Well, um, you know, my... I grew up in um a, a family with i 'm the oldest of three girls, and we 're all one year apart and uh, My parents met in college and um, were married very young. My mother was not quite nineteen when she married my father who was and he was twenty three not quite twenty four and um, so you know I grew up with these very young parents but my but my mother was hugely instrumental um, to me because in my uh, teen years, which was kind of the height of the Gloria Steinem Title IX women getting their voice, my mother, who had dropped out of college and she she was very smart, had been number one Latin student in Illinois and won a scholarship uh, for her music and all the things that she um, had accomplished, dropped at such a young age, dropped out to marry my father and was, you know, he was in the military. He was a pilot um, and uh, with the Navy. And so through his, you know, early career, she was kind of a stay-at-home mom. And so we had this mom, you know, stay-at-home mom who was very attentive to our needs and very happy person. So we grew up with a lot of unconditional love. And um, then when I was a teenager, she... Decided to go back to school, uh, finish her degree, and get her master's in psychology. So she, I kind of, as the oldest daughter, lived through her transformation uh, in, in getting a voice in her life and changing the d- dynamics of her relationship with my father and the relationship with us in the house. So she went back to school and finished her master's in psychology and then taught women's reentry programs at a college called Cal Lutheran in Southern California. So I witnessed kind of her love of, she was very happy at this time in her life and her love of um, uh, kind of, you know, women and what women could do and taking charge of your life and getting a voice. And so that had a huge impact on me. And um, and then, you know, I think what my father showed us was he's a very disciplined person and he was very much about, you know, sign up to, you know, whatever you're going to do, do it, get about doing it make no excuses, do it every day, you know, be the best you can be, go for it in life. So I think it was this interesting dynamic of a, mo- of a mother who, you know, I witnessed her transformation in her life, her voice, um, and all the stuff around the women's issues, and then from my father, the discipline, the take charge of your
4: life, go for it, it, it you know, don't be afraid. Well, Betsy, this is off to a great start. We're going to be right back. We're going to take a quick break. This is Leadership Development News, and we're talking to Betsy Meyer, so come right back. <music>
5: Dr. Greenberg, co-author of What Happy Companies Know and What Happy Women Know, is the leading global expert on coaching combined with the new science of happiness and originator of the happiness equals profits business formula. Kathy's company, H2C, Happy Companies, Healthy People, provides practical training for individuals and entire companies to maximize their potential in as little as one day. Kathy herself is available for one-to-one executive coaching, group training, and as an electrifying conference speaker. Catch her at the Governor's Conference for Women nationally and as spokesperson for Cancer Treatment Centers of America throughout 2009 for distinctive learning, practical solutions and proven results to learn more about adding kathy and happy Company's healthy people to your team visit kathy at h2cleadership.com that's h2cleadership.com
1: when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're listening to leadership development news profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts doctors kathy greenberg and Rilly nadler we know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask so call us toll free at 1-866-472-5790 that number again is 1-866-472-5790 now let's get back to the show
0: welcome back to leadership development news we're talking with betsy myers a life of public service. We just went through her history. Betsy, you talked about your key influences, and I mentioned kind of the best of the head and the heart between your mother and father. Now, let's talk about your outstanding academic work at Harvard, where you were instrumental in helping to integrate more women into the Harvard community through the Women's Board. Maybe you can tell us a little bit more about about that work.
3: Well, you know, my work was really, um, with the Women's Board was a piece of what I was doing. Um, I went to the Kennedy School after my time in the Clinton administration, where I, um, it was really an opportunity to get my master's in a one year, uh, they call the mid career program. And that program was really fabulous to step back and say, what have I learned? You know, I was just at the end of my 30s, had spent seven years in the Clinton administration and three, uh, jo- various different jobs at White House and the Small Business Administration. So, you know, it really was, um a fabulous time to not only get my master's, but to step back. What am I good at? What am I not good at? What do I want to do with my life? And, and then I found myself, um as, uh, they, the, uh, the dean of the county school asked me if I would stay on and run their alumni and external relations office. And through that office, um I worked, uh, very closely with the Women's Leadership Board, who had a new director, uh, her name was Susan Ray at the time, and the school was very much, and our dean, Joe Nye at the time, was very much devoted to making sure that this women's board um, grew, had a voice, um, and it was an opportunity for women outside of Harvard who were business leaders and uh, philanthropists and, um, and and academics and other people who wanted to participate in not only, you know, the Kennedy School and the mission of its public service, but also in bringing uh, a woman's voice perspective to the school and working closely with the students um, who were, you know, the the school had its mid-career program, so average age is 40, but then it had its two-year program, so the average age is about 25. So, so for the importance of the, the Women's Leadership Board to to play a role with the students themselves as they figured out what they wanted to do next in their life um, in the role of public service. So I feel very honored to have had uh, you know a role in that board and its growth and um, gone you know did some projects with the board and then when I went over to the Center for Public Leadership, stayed involved, uh, went to Egypt with them um, in the uh, January of '06. Um, where we uh, did a joint conference with Mrs. Mubarak um, and Women in Egypt. So it's a wonderful board, still there and still growing.
4: Betsy, as you look at your relationship uh, to the Harvard uh, community um, and, and then as the executive director of the Center for Public Leadership at the Kennedy School, um, you, you have a, a way of being and a way of, of, of uh, advocating uh, obviously, distinguished by your career in public office, and you've been devoted to addressing these issues of personal and interpersonal leadership for some time. Can can you tell us what that means to you now, having been oh, in in yeah. public office?
3: Public, yeah, I, and and I've always been never I've never held public office, but always been in public service, like behind the scenes, and yeah, I mean my my. You know, my father was very interested in leadership in his, in growing up. And so he is the one who I think who first kind of brought the awareness to me of kind of lead, the word leadership and what does that mean. And, 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 you know, some of the authors that in my early twenties, people that were writing books that my dad was, uh, you know, read their books and fans of, like Ken Blanchard, who wrote The One Minute Manager and, and, um, Peter, uh, uh Tom Peters and, um, Stephen Covey and some of some of the big names that you you hear like that, and um, so that 's when I started to have this awareness of leadership, but I always was from the time I was very little like very curious about why people do what they do why Why was it that when I was a kid you know we loved one somebody 's father and we feared another kid 's father you know what what was it about one teacher that we loved and another teacher we didn 't so this was something very early in my life, and I started to. Wonder as I got into my own career, you know, why was it that one, you know, like for example, when I was in the White House, why was it that one cabinet secretary was revered and like a Bob Rubin who was our Treasury Secretary, and he got the work done, and another cabinet secretary, secretary didn't? So that's that's where I came to. I came from an observation of others, but then also um, I've always been very in tune to my own being. You know, what when am I effective? When am I not effective? When am I happy? When am I not happy? When am I do I feel most engaged, most excited about the world around me and that 's when I really started to think about and think about leadership from the perspective that I now have, which is in what my book's about, which is when people feel valued and included and heard and appreciated that, that they that they are able to be the, show up as their best selves and I saw it in myself and I saw it in others and i 've always been just absolutely fascinated by. When people are conscious about what they're doing versus being unconscious, how many leaders are, or managers, or people in positions of authority, you know, are completely unconscious? Because I love your statistics that you you brought out—the 50 to 70 percent of leaders you know, influence have influence over their team. I'd say even more than that. Mm-hmm. You know, anyways, it's just a fascinating topic. Um, you know, that we are led not only in our business world, but in our, in our lives, but in our personal lives.
0: Well, we couldn't echo more with what you are saying, but I'm sure Kathy's saying the same thing because that's really what how we see leadership. And, and it's also interesting how you're kind of zeroing in on what it says in the intro about the hardest person to manage is yourself um, because I think a lot of people listening would say, oh, that's easy. You know, they may not be aware of some of their blind spots and everything else. It's managing others that's a difficulty. Maybe you could say just a little bit about that reverse, which I would agree there's so much... So that's probably the key to being a leader is first managing yourself.
3: Absolutely. I mean, that you know, Warren Bennett, and Kathy mentioned him. You know, he's really the godfather of leadership. He's going to be 85 in the spring and uh, this year. And um, he's the first one that brought to the academic conversation of leadership 20-plus years ago that leadership is about self-knowledge. And, mm-hmm. you know, because I think there was this time – In academia, which is, well, if I just learn these five skill sets, I'm going to go out and be a successful leader. Yet, uh, you know, and what we've learned is that leadership is about being your authentic self and who your authentic self is, is where you should be in the world and what industry you should be in and, you know, what really makes your heart sing. But part of that is being able to step back and say, you know, what, what am I good at? What am I not good at? What, what is my, how does my behavior impact those around me? Because we all know, we've all worked for leaders, and I always say you learn more by working for a poor leader than you do a great leader, because you realize, wow, that's really ineffective. That makes me feel bad about myself. That makes me feel like I have less energy. You know, so those, the bad leaders I've worked for, the ineffective leaders I've worked for have taught me a lot. I'm grateful for that. But, you know, it, it's, you have to understand, if I scream and yell at people in the workforce, uh, that actually causes them to be ineffective, unproductive, and the business will make less money. But part of, and what my book is going to be talking about is that it's about being conscious. We 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 live this fast-paced life. We're on this like rats on a wheel, moving from meeting to meeting and state to state and country to country on our business. And how often do we, you know, step back and reflect? Which is why my Kennedy School year in 2000 was so critical for me because how often as people do we put the skitters on our life and say, I'm going to stop for a year and really, you know, think about what I'm good at, what I'm not good at, how my behavior worked here, where, where it worked effectively, where it w- didn't work, uh, where it was ineffective and, and be able to step back. And so I would say the number one um, most important aspect of a leader is is living consciously to be able to assess how our behavior impacts those around us and what's effective and what's ineffective.
4: It's fascinating as you're talking and you're talking about the post, this was all your post-Clinton experience, is that correct? Yeah, Uh, yeah, but also
3: yeah, we've been kind of in the post-Clinton
4: world, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I just want to refocus for a second, Betsy, and, and talk about your career during the Clinton administration. Uh, and your life as the head of the White House uh, Women's Office or the you know the SBA, where you ran the Office of Women's Business Ownership. Can can you share some of the key highlights that you experienced um, in that role? Yeah,
3: well, first of all, the key highlight was the fact that, that President Bill Clinton and uh, Hillary Clinton, then the First Lady, um, were from day one um, very committed to improving the lives of women uh, and children in this country. So that was one of their top. If it focuses and to opening up the White House to people who had been voiceless. And so, you know, one of the offices they created was this new Office of Women's Outreach, which was created in 95 to make sure that women's voices were at the table. And so it was a privilege to work alongside the President and First Lady who were so devoted to this issue, and particularly for President Clinton on issues like domestic violence, because he'd experienced that as a child. He saw his stepfather um, hit his mother, Um, his mother died of breast cancer. So some of these issues that he and the first lady were so devoted to. So it was a privilege to work um, for them. And I think the highlight of my career was to work in the White House for a president and first lady who were so devoted to these issues that I cared so deeply about.
4: And um, one of the things I, I want to ask you to talk about when we come back from this break is when you were selected for this role, what were, some of the, what were some of the skills that you think made you so perfect for this role? And what are you most proud of based on that experience? So we'll be right back. You're listening to Leadership Development News. And we're talking to Betsy Meyer, so come right back.
1: Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. listening to leadership development news profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts doctors kathy greenberg and really nadler we know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask so call us toll free at 1-866-472-5790 that number again is 1-866-472-5790 now let's get back to the show
0: welcome back to leadership development news we're talking about Betsy. Myers and, and her life in, uh, in public service. And Kathy was just asking before the break just about, you know, what were some of your accomplishments that you felt best depict your time in that role? What were some of the skills that you had uh, in, with the Clinton administration, maybe some of the things that you, met, you most felt proud about at that time?
3: Well, you know, it was a brand new office that was created in, in um, spring of 1995, and in the beginning of the Clinton administration, the president—they um, did not start an office. They had a, what you call a desk, someone who was um, responsible for kind of uh, taking, listening to the concerns of the women's constituents. And but the women leaders in Washington wanted wanted more. Um, they wanted a, uh, more of a presence and. Um, so there had been some um, unhappiness with the women leaders because they had wanted more access, and the president listened to that and created the office. So the first, I think, I walked into this new office with the important skill, which is being able to listen to where the women leaders were, understand which leaders were, um, you know, upset, which ones weren't, what which leaders needed a meeting with the president, um, what, you know, what who who was okay, what, you know, what were the top issues brewing, you know, and, and so that's really what I did in the early days of the office was to get my arms around, because uh, some of the, many of the leaders I did not have a relationship with, so I think, you know, things that I'm best at are being able to build relationships, listen, um, bring people together, and uh, one of the first things we did with the president was we brought in 25 of the women leaders have a meeting with the president um, in the cabinet room where they were able to, to kind of bring him up to date on the things that were that, that matter to them, things they were hoping his administration would champion, um, and a listening session. So that was some of the first stuff we did. Um, and the other piece, uh, going back to your question about um, things I'm proud of, President Clinton and Hillary Clinton were very much um, about opening up their White House to people that had been uh, voiceless to make sure that they kept in touch with the American public. And that was just very very much that we all understood that, being on his senior team, um, that, you know, ways to include, ways to reach out. Um, and so we created a program in my office called At the Table where we um, uh, went around to the various federal agencies and empowered women appointees to go out into the country when they were on travel um, to make sure that wherever they went on business that they added a roundtable with women to listen and not only to do it with their own families and friends but when they were out in the world on business and it really was this initiative we did over two thousand of these roundtables where women appointees would sit with american women in their homes or in their offices and anywhere from ten to twenty five women to say the president wants to hear from you you know, tell us what's on your mind. What do you want the president to know? And my office set up a system where we um, took all that input and developed a report, and every quarter we'd submit a, a, a report to the president
4: on what was
3: on the minds of American women, and it was very, very powerful to um, to create that dialogue um, back and forth between the American women and and the White House, so that was something um, that also kept us, you know, uh, knowledgeable about you know, here we are representing the Office of Women's Initiatives and Outreach, representing American women to the president and the president to American women, making sure that we set up a system that we could listen and hear and understand. Um, what was on the minds of women, and make sure the president knew that. So that was that was something that we were very proud of, and and women still talk about today. As I go out across the country, they'll tell tell me they either hosted it at the table or that they um, were part of one.
4: That is so exciting, Betsy. And as you talk about this, I can hear the inspiration in your voice, and that. That seems to me to be a very salient model that many people can continue to use today in today's organizations to really have that opportunity to listen uh, to the common you know, woman it's so um, it's and so the simple. common man. Yeah, exactly. It's so simple. So yeah, it, it sounds simple, but I know that it takes some advocacy. So um, talking about advocacy, um, shifting to the Obama campaign. Now, now you were the COO from two thousand and seven. Right. And you really got this campaign up and going from an operational standpoint. Now, how did you get this role coming from the background that you had after the Clinton administration at the Kennedy School? And uh, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves in the success story that you created, but I'd love for you to also share a little bit about how you raised some funds uh, for this campaign very successfully with some stay-at-home moms. Well, yeah, basically,
3: I, I think it was three, uh, three years ago, um, January 4th, uh, that um, I met with President, but then Senator Obama in his office, and he was pretty close to deciding whether he was going to run for president. And if he did, um, he was talking to me about whether I'd be interested in being his chief operating officer. And um, uh, what we were, you know, what I was intrigued with, and the reason I was sitting there in his office, was that, at our work at Harvard at the Center for Public Leadership, we had been studying the new model of leadership, which is gone as the command and control era of leadership and in is leaders who collaborate and listen and are sent up, who are authentic and comfortable in their own skins and look for win win solutions and um and Barack Obama, you know, from his speech at the two thousand and four convention, you know, really epitomized that new thinking around leadership. So I was really excited about the opportunity to work up close with this someone who embodied this new thinking around leadership, you know. Um, uh, and that day in his office, how he, his vision of the campaign, which was a vision that we need to run this campaign like a business, because campaigns today are multi-millions of dollars. You know, the Obama campaign in 07 was 100, we raised 103 million dollars. And um, it was almost a quarter of a billion-dollar campaign, so they're business entities now. So you need to run them like they're a serious startup business. And secondly, you wanted to run the campaign with a, a model of respect and customer service um, and respect for each other inside the campaign, respect for the donor, the voter. And so that was really important as well uh, because you don't also hear that very often. And then thirdly, you wanted to run the campaign with a low-drama mentality that people would Work out their differences between them and and get along, and um, so the, I was intrigued with that um, with that um, desire of his to run a different kind of campaign and show a different way to lead, and that's and and that job came about my name someone um, woman by the name of Judy Gold who had worked for me in the Clinton White House. Um, her boss uh, is the president's lawyer, um, and he he was. Um, responsible Bob Bauer is his name, he's now the lawyer in the White House, but he had been the president's or senator's lawyer and Obama had asked him to if he could help him find the COO. And Judy knew Bob and Bob had mentioned they were looking for somebody and she mentioned my name. So that's kind of how I got in the mix um of uh the Obama campaign. And to your question about the stay at home moms, um, we m- operations had nothing to do with raising money. We had our job was when the money was raised to make sure that it was accounted for by the database and the system we set up, and and put in the bank, and what we call cashiered. And then all the bills that were paid, we were responsible. The operations of the campaign was responsible for all the people hired, all the procedures around hiring people, all the offices that were set up, uh, everything that had to do with offices uh cash flow budget, all the bills that were paid, all the contracts that were set up with all the vendors, anything that had to do with lawyers and contracts around office space, anything that had to do with telephones and computers and all uh, the operational aspects, the um correspondence, the email correspondence, the the customer service aspect, um the FEC filings, the the um all the travel that anyone did. We had a travel department. So that was the real operations. And Kathy point to, I did hire three women that were, had been stay-at-home moms, but they had all had operational backgrounds. And they'd all taken time off over the last couple years before this, uh, January 07, to be with their kids. And my friend Judy Gold, who helped me get the job, knew two of the women, um and said they that in Chicago that they would be able to help me. And I hired them on the spot. Um, and then they knew a third woman, Marianne, uh... who had financial operational background and we hired her in the beginning just as consultants to help me because i was by myself in chicago you know getting all the details set up because if you remember um, obama announced his exploratory campaign on the sixteenth of january seven which allowed us to raise money but then we kicked off the campaign february tenth um, so we had very little time to get going so i grabbed these fabulous three women, and they were all incredibly—I'm uh, so lucky to get them. Marianne Markowitz became our our uh, financial chief financial officer, CFO. Jennifer Clark became our um, head of human resources, and Annelisa Lafontant became um, after she she was kind of my chief of staff in the beginning, helped us get the office set up and all the details, and then she became head of travel. So these three incredible women, um, people don't really know that story, and I. I you know, think that more people should know about the real truth about how this operation got up and going by just a handful of amazing people that included
4: three stay-at-home moms and uh who, yeah, who went on to have big roles in the campaign. And, Betsy, just for the purpose of our listeners hearing the names of the women, it was Marianne Markovitz, Jennifer Markowitz, Clark, uh-huh,
3: Jennifer Clark, and Annalisa LaFontant. And, um, Mary Ann went on to be the regional head of the Small Business Administration in Chicago and Jennifer Clark is actually in Seattle her husband uh, through his job she moved to Seattle and so she's out there reconnecting with her child and and helping the mayor and some other doing some other things and Annalisa also is in Chicago and um, took some time off after the campaign to reconnect with her family
4: now we're gonna come right back after this commercial break and talk to you a little bit more about your learnings and what you can share with us about leadership and uh, if you can just think about that for a second we're going to go to a quick break this is leadership development news we're talking to betsy myers about a life of public service so come right back
1: We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866 472 5790. That's 866 472 5790. Voice America Business Network.
6: Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint by the numbers process. you delegate effectively how do you develop strong relationships across the organization emotional intelligence training coaching books and tools by dr nadler are available at his website www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066
1: Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. You're listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Doctors Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show.
0: Welcome back to Leadership Development News. We're talking with Betsy Myers topic is a life of public service and in this segment we want to check in with Betsy he has a book that we want to hear a little bit about. Um but also it sounds like you were offered a position in the Obama administration. Maybe you can talk about some of the your decisions uh about, you know, not choosing that.
3: Well, I actually was never offered anything in the Obama administration. I chose not to pursue anything, I and I was okay. pretty honest with the team. My friend Pete Rouse, who is the senior advisor to the president in the White House, who was a senior advisor in the campaign, that um, you know the campaign had been a fabulous two years, but it had also been you know for someone who has a family um, and a little kid, um, it was a lot on my family. So my family had moved to Chicago for part while I was the COO, and then. When I hit the road in oh eight traveling as chair of women for Obama, my family husband and daughter moved back to boston and um and i I think sometimes it was the second year that was harder because I was on the road and I was gone more so it 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 became evident to me that it was time to take a break from the the eighty hour weeks and that my child, who was in first grade um, really needed needed me and so it was a difficult decision but but not one that you know. It was difficult in that I had was so excited that to be part of the campaign and the new administration of this first African American president. I was so proud of what we'd accomplished, and but was not difficult. So it was difficult from a career standpoint, but not difficult from my heart and what I knew my family needed. So um, I decided that I I um, jumped off the team. On uh, November 5th, after the election, but stayed very, you know, involved. And during the transition, I helped a lot of our young staff people navigate their way through jobs and other things like that. And has stayed uh, involved with the White House with their new Women's Council and helping the DNC raise money on the Women's Leadership Forum. So stayed active, but knew that I needed to, to choose a different career path. But the truth also is that I wanted to get back to my real passion, which is my work in leadership. And um, I wasn't exactly sure how that was going to manifest, but I knew that I wanted to step back into, you know, speaking about and writing about leadership, uh, which then Simon & Schuster in February last year bought my book, or Atria uh, Books, and um, Judith Kerr, uh, the publisher, and Peter Borland, the editor of Atria. Um, were uh, such are such great partners in my getting my voice out in the world about kind of my thinking around leadership, which is, you know, from being you know the privilege to be part of the Clinton world and the Clinton White House, and then the Obama campaign um, to and, and throughout my career, because it wasn't just in those two places, but in throughout my career where I have observed, you know, front row seat to leaders. Um, and what kind of what works and what doesn't work and when where you see when people really show up as their best selves. And that is when the people feel valued and included and heard and appreciated. Um, and when leaders are conscious about what they're doing and how their behavior impacts those around them. But that's the book I'm writing. So it's really been, you know, the, the, the year that I have been writing this book, it'll come out in October we're in the final phase now, has been this really um, cathartic ability to look back over 25 years of my career um, and observing uh, and, and writing through, you know, what the observations of people who touched my heart and taught me, um, who did it right, um, and, um, and the kind of leadership that they brought to the table, which is when people felt valued. And I think that's the key. That's the, and it seems so simple in some ways, but yet so many people aren't doing it. It is,
4: it Bethany, is done. It, it's amazing to me as I, I listen to the enthusiasm in your voice when you when you talk about what's in the book. And obviously we're going to have you back on the show to talk about the book and to talk about some of the things you might be able to share having sat on the Clinton administration and the Obama campaign, which brings me to the comment I want to make right now before the show ends, and that is having met your mother, uh, Judith, She's such a wonderful woman. And we were having a casual conversation, and I looked at her, and I just said very bluntly, Judy, do you know you're the first woman who can say that I've had two daughters in the White House? And she looked at me, and she said, I never thought of that. And yeah. it just it struck me at that very moment how a woman who has had so much leadership capacity in her life um, who feels valued and who loves all of her successful children, whether it's Jojo, who's a successful makeup artist in Hollywood, or Dee Dee, who is in the Clinton administration, uh, who's written her own book, and, and you as the, as the eldest daughter who's now writing her book on leadership. It's so often uh, that we hear that people don't see themselves for who they are, and it was such a wonderful opportunity to share that insight with Judy, and I hope she takes advantage of that.
3: Yeah, well, my, my mother, you know, she was just very much about unconditional love and cheering us on, and, um, you know, she really didn't have, um, you know, you see sometimes parents feel you know, we want, we have ideas of what our kids should do and be, and my mother was very much about be who you are, and, you know, she, and and if you fail, it's okay, you can always come home. I mean, I think that my sister Dee and I have talked a lot about, you know, we both, I think, in order to... Go to high places in your career, you have to be able to take some risk and be able to do, get around your own fear. And, um, and I think that's something, you know, that our mother gave us kind of a safety net. Um, and she sacrificed a lot for us. You know, she sacrificed a lot of her own dreams because she was a woman of the fifties. You know, you get married, you support your husband's career. And so, you know, I think we watched our mother sacrifice for us. And so for me, it's always, I've always wanted to, you know, make my mom proud uh, of of us and um, but you know she i'm so grateful to her because even to this day she's you know our biggest cheerleader and um, and there there's something really lovely about that, and I try to do that for my own daughter for her you know she's very different than me she 's more shy she 's more creative that not to be like me, but to be her, who she is and I think that's what my mom. Taught us and what she guided us towards, and even as we got older, we had we Dee Dee and I both had children later, and my sister JoJo has no children. There was never any pressure like you need to have kids and you should get married. And it was really just go on your path, do what makes you happy, and um, and there's no right way to do it. And, and and I think that's a gift she gave us.
0: That's beautiful. I mean, that's that's really a gift that she gave you. Um, thinking about that, is is there kind of one thing that may be a gift or a tip for for leaders there about kind of this authenticity and personal leadership that you may be able to uh, impart with us before we end.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is to listen to your heart and to know, you know, that you choose a life that that makes your it makes you happy. I mean, to, to Kathy's work about happiness that you know that it's okay to be happy and that to be in places where you celebrate others and others celebrate you and that's a life that you can can create um and part of that is being willing to occasionally you know stop to create the time to take a walk take a yoga class you know find ways to be able to stop and think and say what's working in my life and what's not working in my life you know being con- going back to what i was saying about being conscious Conscious about, you know, how your behavior impacts yourself and impacts those around you. You know, what what is getting in the way of your personal happiness or, you know, you're being as effective as you want to be. Um, what are the things you're doing to sabotage that? And that just takes rigor uh, of time to stop and get off the wheel. And for me, you know, I take, I go to uh, yoga classes three times a week. And that's where not only, you know, for my body but for my mind fail to stop. There's no cell phone going off. It's quiet for an hour and a half. It's time for myself. And women particularly, I think, we're not as good. Well, I think men, too. But women particularly, like, everybody comes before me, before us, because, you know, there's no time for us to think. So that's what I would say for leaders, is to, to create time to reflect, um, to to live more consciously, and to ask people around you that work for you and are in your family, you know, what, where are you? How are you doing? What can you do to be better? Because feedback from others is also really important, and we often don't, don't ask for that and don't get
4: it. And speaking of feedback, Betsy, people can reach you at Betsy at com. Is that correct? Correct. Outstanding. Excellent. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Are we look so forward to having to you, you back.
3: Absolutely. Well, thanks for what you guys are doing and getting voices out there
0: in the world on this important topic. So congratulations to you, too. Thank you, Betsy. This has been fabulous. This is Leadership Development News signing off. Please tune again uh, next week when we have our next show. Thank you very much, Betsy.
1: Thanks, guys.
0: Appreciate it.